it's so easy to say, I want an Airbnb or short-term rental in Midtown, or I want one in downtown Ann Arbor right by the stadium, or there's just, there's so many things that just seem obvious to us. And that's what's oversaturated. I think we really have to think outside the box now in what are the restrictions of the city, village, township, wherever you want to operate and really dive into those. Welcome to the Michigan Short-Term Rentals Podcast, the show about buying, optimizing, and managing short-term rentals in the state of Michigan. Get insights and recommendations from vacation rental operators to help take your property to the next level. Are you ready to profit from your short-term rental? Let's get started. Welcome to the Michigan Short-Term Rentals Podcast. My name is Tony Stantato here with my co-host, Jordan Painter. Today, we have a special guest, Ashley Harker. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. We're super excited to hear about your business and uh, the listeners. Yes, I'm really excited to share about it because it's definitely been a wild six years that has changed the whole course of my life. So That's awesome. So we first got connected in the Michigan Vacation Rentals Facebook group, right? And it sounds like you've built up quite the portfolio of owned properties and potentially, I think, some managed properties as well. Would you want to just take uh, take a minute, kind of give us a little bit of uh, a background on yourself, maybe what you did before kind of getting into short-term rentals and then, you know, kind of how that snowball progressed into what it is today and what does it look like today? Sure. So I used to work in corporate finance and so I was pretty solid at analyzing investments from a financial statement perspective down to the level of looking at a stock. So from being in the corporate world, I decided I wanted to take my future more into my own hands. And so I found that avenue through real estate. So I actually started purchasing long-term rental, single family and uh, small multifamily. I think I had two and it was good, but I wasn't picking up the momentum that I really needed to get to that point of the of financial freedom or whatever that concept means to the individual. It's changed um, for me, certainly from the time I started thinking about it. So I, I thought about how I could acquire houses faster without taking on uh, loans left and right and also what I could do to keep my corporate job as long as I could so that I could finance these houses. And I was interested. I'd heard about Airbnb. I'd stayed at a number of VRBOs and I was going on a vacation myself. And I decided to put my own house up while I was going to Asia to stay at hostels for four weeks in January. And this was in Hazel Park. And I thought, maybe I'm crazy. Everybody I talk to says I'm crazy, but I, I, I'm a landlord. At least I've got a, a few of these under my belt and I'm, I can quantify the, the risk that it, you know, everything is a calculated risk. And I put it up there and it, it just went over like gangbusters. And I said, there's something to this thing. And I started couch surfing and living in construction projects of other single family homes that I had bought maybe that weren't quite finished and I just kept renting out my my first house to get enough capital and I was going to RIAs and sharing with others about my success and a ton of people were just interested and fascinated and and wanted to get involved in this same arena so they asked me to set up another property 
like theirs, like mine. And so I did a few in Hazel Park and that turned into several management contracts. And then once I had had at least 10 properties built up, I think it took me a year. And then within a year I had nine or 10 management. And then I still had one of my own, but I was just banking capital like crazy. And I approached a landlord and in, a, in the same area where I was having success. And I started doing lease arbitrage as well. So I was able to really scale my portfolio. And so that was six years ago. And now I'm getting out, inching out of the arbitrage um, sector a little bit and just buying my own a single family and apartment buildings as I come across them. And that way you just have a ton more control, control over quality, control over things that are happening at the property. I can get there in a timely fashion and I can rehab the houses to be as nice as I want them. And in a lot of cases, they are very, very nice. I've set a lot of the market standards in some of the markets they operate in where I'm responsible for rehabbing the property and I have very, very low vacancy. I'm primarily focused on the midterm rental strategy, given that the property calls for it. I also do a little bit in the large house sector. I'm mainly around major cities. I don't do anything in Northern Michigan. I feel like it's really seasonal and a lot of my properties are are just strong year round. And so that's that's my comfort zone that I've developed that I really want to I have a property that, number one, I can have multiple exit strategies. So the properties that I buy now, like my own apartment buildings, single family homes, I always make sure that I have multiple exit strategies. I can convert this to a long-term rental when I'm done. We can do something else with it. I can sell it and still not lose any money. So those are a couple of things that have really helped me for my strategy and and build my portfolio of my own houses and in the houses I manage and in arbitrage. When you say a part of the unit apartment complexes, are you typically looking at and, and managing? And are you doing a combination of long and short and mid or just all midterm? What does that look like? So I I really like like four, two to four unit apartment buildings. I feel like you can get those to be the best of both worlds. They can have yeah some of the character and some of the things that guests really like about a single family home, but, and they don't have that commercial cookie cutter feel like an eight unit. So I own several of those and I go in and I over rehab and I'm sorry, can you repeat your question? Yeah. Just curious, like the the size of them. And then are you doing a mixture of midterm and short-term and long-term or how, how are you monetizing those, those projects? So the the last one I bought, I am letting the tenants stay in place as long as I can and then renovating them one by one because these these rehabs are far from cookie cutter and it's not like just doing a, a burr or a rent rehab or, you know, lipstick flip, whatever. So yes, it is a combination to some extent. Some units I feel are, are just better fit for long-term or maybe they don't merit all of the investment, but so everything is just uh, like a combination. So I have one, two unit, they're both short-term rentals. I have another four unit, three of the four are short-term rentals, single family homes. It's just, I have 
properties in my portfolio that are long-term rentals that I could flip depending on how the market goes. So it every property is a different type of analysis when we're just looking for what makes sense here. You know, what are the amenities like? What are the amenities like that I have control over? Because some of them I just don't have control over. So yeah, it, we've we've been gravitating towards kind of the multifamilies as well. In our the market that we operate out of, it's like, hey, we could pick up a two unit for two eighty five, or we could pick up a single family home that has two beds, one bath, and that one's three hundred. So you can. You know, it, it's almost like a little hack where, hey, and then again, you can utilize different strategies. Like one could be a midterm, one could be a short term, or one could be a long term, you know? So just, we're really bullish on that. Again, we think you can get a little bit more value on that. And then for us too, we have like a five unit and we'll rent the entire place out to big groups if if there's a group of 34 people. So there are some opportunities depending on how the bookings line up where, you know, you can rent the entire property to to some big groups. So that's right. A, a, so 80-90% of my portfolio are midterm stays and I fill the gaps between the, I have a minimum of 28 days. Sometimes I set it to 21 because they're paying the same price with the long-term stay discount. So I am, I hear what you're saying. The only exception for me is with my big house, the big house models where I'm sleeping 10 or more people. Those are almost never midterm stays unless we get really lucky with an insurance claim or a corporate stay or transfer. We get engineers from Germany a lot, things like that. So yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I as Whenever I can do midterm, I absolutely do midterm and I just fill in the rest and shorten That's awesome. my required stays. You mentioned some corporate housing and insurance claims. Is there particular avenues you go to potentially get more of those? We utilize uh, a couple, not not so much corporate stays. We have got some insurance, you know, requests and stuff, but just curious if you have any tips on how somebody could go about getting maybe more insurance bookings or more corporate housing bookings. You know, that's been a tough nut to crack. I know that with the insurance stays that I have had, the agent is more likely to come back to me uh, with a different guest, different scenario. Corporate, I've, I've utilized my network. Um, I know people in the automotive industry and there's just a ton of investment going into vehicles right now and we have contractors coming in left and right um, throughout the midwest from michigan all the way down to kentucky so the ford are usually two that i work with and it's it's just kind of knowing people and trying to get that repeat business for when they come back on their next contract working in these automotive plants that makes sense so huge arbitrage that's a really great way to to get started especially if you're you're low on capital we tried we tried to do one that way and it didn't work out and we ended up actually a year later purchasing the building but yeah. uh, financing like when you're going through the financing process and scaling are you doing commercial are you doing residential are you doing a combination are you doing hard money how, how are you going about financing and what tips do you have on that so i've done a I finance properties in a number of different ways. I got started by pulling a home equity line of credit on that first house. 
And I use that to be the down payment for my next four properties because I just bought smart. You know, that first house, if you buy smart first time, it just has a domino effect and can grow your business, whatever you're looking to do exponentially. So that's been a real game changer for me. So from there, I've done um, 20% down conventional loans. I've purchased with hard money, private lending. I purchased with commercial loans. I've done a 10 or 12 cash out refinances after purchasing with private funds. I'm looking at using IRA money potentially to do another deal, but I know that there is a lot of red tape around, you know, is that income or passive income. And so hiring another property manager to kind of take an over a property that I would be potentially buying with retirement money makes me a little nervous. No, not that I am the absolute best at everything, but I am very hands-on. Fired every other property manager I had, even with long-term rentals. And I said, I know what it looks like to care about something and I'm going to care about everything I do because I'm just not getting that elsewhere. So anyway, sidetrack, but, you know, retirement investing with Roth IRAs and self-directed 401ks and everything is very interesting to me, especially because being an entrepreneur, a business owner with an S-corp, you know, there's a ton of different options that you can do out there. Yeah, self-directed IRAs are very difficult in real estate to, to be passive. There's a lot of, probably a lot of gray area there where people are a little bit more active than they're, they're supposed to be by the letter of the, of the law. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a difficult line to walk, but that's great. Awesome. Awesome tips there for how people can look into getting creative to finance things. And, mm-hmm. and then portfolio wise, so you still have some arbitrage, you have some owned and then you're still managing and then is it all pretty much Southeast Michigan? So right now I'm going as far west as Ann Arbor and as north as Halley. So I I think that's three or four. I'm in four different counties of Southeast Michigan. So there is quite a spread, you know, but every property has its own unique appeal and and makes sense. So when I started, I I was living in the Hazel Park and Ferndale area. And so I started growing out from there. But as bigger and better properties started coming across my path, you know, West Bloomfield and Farmington Shells and Ann Arbor and really higher end stuff and realized I needed to get outside of that, that initial bubble of being in like the nine mile and I-75 interchange. Yeah. How many do you manage for other people? Uh, 15 right now. I, I was at one point, I had about 28, 29, and that was a lot. You know, you can definitely feel the difference. When I shut down four of my arbitrages in the last six months, so I have somewhere in the low 20s, and then some of them just go, I'll have a guest there for 90 so days. I mean, and it's, it's, very hands-off it can be that's a question I get a lot from people who are really interested in the business can it really be passive and my answer is it depends how you set it up it depends how you screen your guests everything happens on the front end everything happens on the front end of the purchase everything happens for the main part on the front end with with the guests and then it can be as close to passive as possible but it the level of customer service is expected is not passive at all but you know you can make it 
you can make it a really solid business where you're you're not you know doing what you would be doing punching a clock somewhere nine to five. You do, do you do all of it yourself, or are you have you hired some help to systemize that? I do. I don't have any employees. I'm at the point now where I I have enough properties, whereas one person I. Because between the properties that I own and the properties that I manage, and I manage a few long-term rentals too. So I am a real estate broker. I went and got my um, license when I started reading about, you know, taking a commission, even though we're sort of in the hospitality business and sometimes it infringes on the real estate business or short-term rentals, but to take a commission in the state of Michigan for a real estate transaction, you are supposed to be or a broker or a broker yourself or anyway, a licensed person. So that was another integral part of my journey. And so on a day-to-day basis, I have between 45 and 50 properties. And for me as one person without hiring assistant, I am doing a lot or working the hours that I want to be working. I'll just say that. Are you doing, are you doing buyer and seller rep as well on top of the management at all, or just I do. So I help, you know, a lot of people approach me and they want to get into this and they want to find a property. And I've seen a lot of other professionals out there say, you know, pushing certain properties and I look at the numbers and a lot of it just doesn't make sense to me. So I'm, I'm really in a good position. I can pick and choose who I want to work with. I feel confident being conservative in any projections that I'm producing for clients. I have listed properties for clients that are short-term and I have found them other short-term buyers, which is really cool. And and it's, it is really exciting to use a real estate license in that fashion. And I, I do also work with other buyers and sellers, but I would say since the interest rates have gone up so high, I haven't really had to do any of that in the last year. The year before I, I had a ton of clients, but, you know, having so many tools in your tool belt, it's really helpful when things change and there's an economic shift or a change in the market that you can pivot okay, this year I'm going to focus more on my rehabs and getting my rehabs done because I, I'm not bombarded with clients. And when clients approach you, oh, I want to do this random house, you know, down river in East Detroit or, or whatever, you can confidently tell them no, because you've built up this foundation and the structure to have your business be, you know, any way that you want it to be. Yeah, that's, that's good. You know, I think you, you hit on a few things. Tony and I are both also licensed agents and I'm a broker and we, we have people come to us a lot of times that, that are working with other agents and they bring these properties in and we look at them and we run the numbers and it's like, you are, you're going to lose money. Everything yeah. if you, if you buy this yeah. and you know, agent that don't specialize in it, they think they know how to run projections. And if you've never really seen a profit and loss for one of these things, you have no freaking clue how many fees and the different things, the, the costs just, just sneak up on you. So I think it's mm-hmm. really there. Uh, if you're going to be buying short-term rentals, find somebody who owns them or manages them or is actively in the business. You mentioned with the interest rates and everything, the margins are, are getting slimmer and slimmer and you really have to know the numbers to, to make those good decisions. So yes. uh, a lot of good points there. So what area, if people were going to be looking at you for you to help service you mentioned a couple of names and areas, but I, but I think that's probably specific knowledge to a local. Like what area do you actually cover? 
Well, and, and I'm going to add in, like, let's say I come to you and you have the Southeast Michigan area that you're, you know, that Jordan's asking about, but I come to you and I say, Hey, I really want the area. Like what area are you pretty bullish on right now? And you say, Hey, you know, purchase price to, you know, projected midterm rental rates. You know, this is kind of the area that I would really recommend that you look at, whether that's Ann Arbor. We had somebody recently ask about Ann Arbor. So yeah, area that you cover. I think you touched on it a little bit, but then like, hey, this is this is the area that I'm really bullish on right now. Okay. So I would cover anything that is as far east as Lansing. So anything that's within an hour and a half of, of Detroit. I would manage. And I have four different cleaning teams that cover, you know, one in each county. And so the question is a very interesting one. And what am I bullish on? Because so much is happening with municipalities right now. And it's really hard. I mean, Ann Arbor, I have some, I have multiple properties that, I have over $100,000 a year revenue, and one of them is in Ann Arbor. And the city is relentless. So I think what we're going to have to do, and I think it's going to be more for someone who can think outside the box a little, because it's so easy to say, I want an Airbnb or short-term rental in Midtown, or I want one in downtown Ann Arbor right by the stadium. Or there's just, there's so many things that just seem obvious to us and that's what's oversaturated. I think we really have to think outside the box now and what are the restrictions of the city, village, township, wherever you want to operate and really dive into those and really find somebody else who has some experience, you know, within a 15 minute drive from the property that you're already looking at. I think those are the two best things you can do. And so it really changes day by day. I am always looking at fringe cities. So if one city, like, so Hazel Park, everyone thought I was crazy, but Ferndale, everyone knew about Ferndale. Ferndale was on everybody's list, but you know, nobody really thought about Hazel Park. And not that it's a home run every time you have to have the right property in the right part of the city, but I always look at that next fringe city, which I think is a, another element that investors use when they're purchasing long-term rentals as well. You know, you, you don't want to buy in top dollar that this price could go down and you may not even have any cash flow next year. You're looking at, it's slightly speculative, but it's quantified speculation. And for me, that, that just changes. So there's some great suburbs around the city of Flint, which nobody likes to talk about Flint that much, but I do a ton of investing in North Oakland and South Genesee County. And I think there's a ton more deals to be had there. And people are so focusing on looking at the suburbs are right around Metro Detroit. Well, wait a second you know, 45 car minute ride north up 75, you're in a whole other world. And a lot of what those areas have to offer is really desirable. If you can get past your preconceived notions of what Flint has stood for in, in the news and in the media. So. Well, yeah, one thing on that. So I, fun fact, I did go to Holly High School for like six months. So really? somewhat, uh -huh. somewhat familiar. 
And yeah. then my mom, my mom actually lives in Linden, Michigan, which is awesome. super small next yeah. to Holly. But again, kind of what you said, it's, it's outside of Flint, probably 10, 15 minutes from Flint. We actually ran some numbers on a lot of different cities, at least on the furnished finder. I can't remember furnished finder dot forward slash stats. And you can see how many requests they've made and where people are looking at. Like there's a lot of people looking for Flint in terms of like, you know, at least on Furnished Finder, but probably not a lot of people want to like stay in Flint. So that's where places like Linden and Holly, you know, you can commute into Flint. I ran the number, my mom was thinking about keeping hers as like a long-term rental, thinking about moving. And I just ran the AirDNA numbers on her house in Linden and it was like three beds, two baths. I mean, it's on a dirt road, so it's not like, you know, a bustling, you know, area necessarily. But I mean, it was projected. It had high projections in in the small town of Linden. So I think you're right. Some of those out, outer, you know, outlying cities or towns from the bigger cities definitely can be a great opportunity there. Now, right. curious, are you... So you're talking about like regulations and that kind of stuff. For us, we do a lot of short terms, you know, like that we're talking one day, two days, three day bookings, you know, and those are definitely getting harder. You know, the, the municipalities are talking about that a lot. Now you, it seems like your strategy is 90% or 80% midterm rentals where it's 30 days plus. Are, are you still encountering... Um, a lot of that, because I know a lot of municipalities, it's like, hey, 30 days stays or longer. Um, I'm actually in a municipality where it's like 90 days or longer. So you can't even get, you can't even do a 30 day plus in, in my township. But Well, yeah. So my smaller house and properties, my multifamily, my small single family homes, like two bedroom mm-hmm. or less, they have no problem doing 30 to 60 day and in a lot of cases, 90 day rentals. It's the bigger houses. So as I progressed, you know, I started with smaller units and then was following what other people were doing and ran the numbers and it it made sense. And like, instead of buying, you know, three single family homes for $200,000 each, I'm going to buy a $600,000 house and make the same amount of money. The problem is that it's much harder to rent those homes that sleep over six people i have a hard time even running bedroom i would say three bedrooms to cut off you know you can pretty easily rent something that has up to three bedrooms for 30 days stays and then when it gets to be four bedrooms you're really looking at two three four days you know if you're lucky like you're saying and so those are also the higher value homes and in the cities that we're having the most problems so you know those are riskier and it was it was a quantified risk, but it is a problem. Two different types of assets and two different types of strategies. But, you know, it is, it will be interesting what happens in the next year, what, you know, the fate of those hold. And so I've also tried listing my properties from furnished, it's furnished monthly rentals on MLS. And I, I've had a, a little success, like not a ton where I'm going to say it's a home run. So we are looking at kind of different strategies to get these properties out there, especially if it gets to the point where we don't have a choice to go minimum 30 days on these bigger houses. It's going to be going to be difficult. So. Going to be sell time. <laughs> yeah. We've seen some townships like Park Township over in Howland. There's actually a lawsuit that they're going to be bringing against the, the township. They, they 
went from no regulation to you can't do it starting, I think it's October 1st this year, maybe October, November. So it might already be in play. And there's, there's some investors that are suing the township. Most of the areas that we've operated have a little bit more of a soft-handed approach where they limit the number of permits that they're going to issue and there's a permitting process and they're allowing people that have been doing it to continue. Are you, you seeing which, which end of the spectrum are you seeing where you're operating? So I always register mine as at least long-term rentals. Most of the cities that I'm operating in have made some sort of statement about it, but maybe they haven't rolled out their, you know, their certification program entirely. But for liability purposes, I always do at least the minimum, hey, this is a rental, come inspect my property. And other than that, I, I haven't seen a, except for, so West Bloomfield was very difficult. We did have to hire an attorney to take on the city of West Bloomfield. And now you're in also some illegal on battle city of Ann Arbor. So I don't know. I mean, Ann Arbor makes a little bit more sense to me. I don't know what West Bloomfield's beef was personally, but the smaller cities, like I thought maybe Ferndale would come around and be more difficult to deal with, but they've just kind of been actually pretty passive. And so it, it's really city by city. It's hard to say this is what I do every single time and this is how I approach every city. I think you really have to get a feel for it and what their stance is and tread lightly and, you know, don't do nothing when it comes to certification. But also in many instances, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. But you have to quantify that risk too. Like, are you going to go out and spend half a million dollars in a city that already has on their website, we hate short-term rentals, don't do it. Probably not, but, you know. So, it's yeah. Basically. So you're managing quite a few. What tools, what's your tech stack kind of look like? What kind of helps you manage that, that amount of properties, such a high level? Yeah, so I use uh, Hospitable, and it seems like there's always a uh, new platform well, what can provide even more automation or what has even more AI or and so it's it's working great for me right now of course that there's probably other things I can learn and implement implement sometimes I get overwhelmed with the technology honestly like you don't want to deal with it like if it's not broken don't fix it wait right yeah so you know there's other, I do all my invoicing to my clients in a uh, Excel spreadsheet because mm -hmm. I just haven't found a good invoicing system that captures all the elements that we face as a short-term rental manager. And it's fine. I mean, my bookkeeper hates me most of the time, but you know, it's, it's accurate and I can really bill in a way that I want to, which I haven't found as an option um, otherwise. My long-term rentals, they just use QuickBooks. So I haven't gotten too crazy. I know that there is some electronic offerings for guidebooks. I think that's my next step in really just doing my guidebooks digitally and providing all that information in a little bit more organized way. I don't always like the way that Airbnb and VRBO present that information. So I think I think that's what's next for me maybe potentially in the future, finding a different billing software and, and going digital with the guidebook. That's awesome. Are you looking for more property management clients right now? 
Yes. I would say that I consider every property carefully. So I do have a $500 a month management fee minimum. So in general, that would mean that if I'm charging a percentage that the the property would have to make, what, $2,500 a month or more. So it kind of gets rid of a lot of properties, actually. So properties that I own in, in my apartment buildings, you know, I make 2500 to 3000 on a 500 square foot space all day long in several of my buildings. So just I own those, but I wouldn't necessarily take them on for somebody else. So it just, it depends. The answer is it depends. And I do do a full setup. I offer a great deal on a setup if you're hiring me as a property manager. So what's included in setup staging, light, you know, coordinating the paint and flooring if it needs a type of thing or yeah, so there's, there's different levels of setup. I have done full out construction. I've, I've brought in an architect and we've done a design and execution of interiors. So as a project manager, you know, making money on a rehab, that's about 20%, 15 to 20% of the rehab itself. And then from a a setup perspective and a design perspective, you know, it can be in three, I think 3000 is like the lowest I've ever done, but it, I, I try to be really fair to people because I know that I'm going to be making a steady income stream off them in the future. And so if I can make their costs as low as possible on the front end, you know, then they'll, they'll trust me and they'll want to keep me around and then I'll have that client for many years to come. So I, I would say standard setup where I go out and, and do room by room design, layout, beds, couches, everything. So, you know, you cross a threshold when you're done with construction into design. And I would say that stops and starts when the house is good enough to, as if you would list it as a long-term rental. So 15 to 20% on a project management fee for construction and house setups are about $3,000. And that includes hanging all the art. Worth every penny of it. All yeah, worth every right. penny. Do you, hey, you, you don't, you know, for 3,000 bucks, we'll give you an extra thousand. You come over to, to West Michigan to make yeah. that we we've done enough of them to now like it, it's definitely 3,000, 4,000. I mean, worth every penny. Yeah. So higher, especially higher professionals. We always say, even if you think for the most part, if you think you're a designer, you know, you're probably not get a professional in there to really take it to the the next level. So, yep. Awesome. Well, hey, we appreciate you coming on the podcast today, sharing your story, your journey. Sounds like you ramped up pretty quick. Awesome to see. We've we've had a lot of discussions about Southeast Michigan, had a lot of people come to us about Southeast Michigan, and we just don't really know much about that area and how it's going, but it seems like there's a lot of potential. And, you know, even kind of those outlying play areas seem like a, a, a great option. So if anybody wanted to reach out to you, whether it's wanting to find the property to, to buy, or maybe they already have a property in Southeast Michigan and they're, they're looking for a property manager and they think it kind of fits the criteria um, of the client that you want. What, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, they can reach out to me via my cell phone. It can be reached at 248-635-1500. Awesome. Well, 
Appreciate you coming on, Ashley. Hope yeah, you have a good rest of your day. Me. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys as well. Thank you. That's Bod. Okay, bye. Thanks for checking out today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you get a chance, please go over to your podcast player of choice. Leave us a review. We appreciate those that have already taken the time to do so. It just helps us get discovered by more people in that platform. And if you're not on the email list yet, go over to michigan-shorttermrentals.com. Get on the email list. You're going to see it right there on the homepage. And you're going to get four very valuable emails. One's going to be a list of 650 zip codes where we've already analyzed a address and have projected revenue for that address. So you can kind of filter those and see which one has the best projections out of those 650 zip codes. And then you're going to get a furnishing calculator. So you'll get a number for how much does it cost to furnish a four bed, two bath with a hot tub and a ping pong table. And you can use that to really project out your return on investment there. And then also a property grading tool. So you're going to be able to plug in some information like yard size, number of neighbors, amenities, the cost of the property and the projected revenue. And it's going to kick you out a letter grade. So our properties are letter grade B. So if it's B or an A, it could be a good property to pick up. If it's less than that, you might really want to think about, is it going to be a good property? And make sure you connect with Jordan Pater and Tony Stancato on LinkedIn. Send us a connection request there and we'll make sure we accept it. And we'll talk to you later.